Hi, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of Full Comet. Please consider subscribing if you haven't already. We've had conservative leadership candidates Pierre Polyev and Leslie Lewis previously join us on the show. Those episodes are still available for you to listen to. And we're pleased to have another candidate, Roman Baber, join us today. And just by way of disclosure, you should know we have invited Patrick Brown and Jean Charest to join us. We're uh, keen to hear from them. But so far, we've been unable to connect with them, but we hope to have them join us soon. Roman Baber is an MPP in Ontario, and he was a member of Doug Ford's government caucus until January 2021, when he posted a public letter voicing his concerns and opposition to Ford's use of lockdowns and other harsh pandemic management policies. Ford chose to boot Baber from caucus, and Baber has since been an independent MP, continuing to offer his critiques of Ontario's COVID policies. While he's announced he's not seeking re-election provincially, he is now running to be leader of the federal conservative party. Roman Baber joins us now. Roman, thanks so much for joining us. Great to have you on. Good to be with you, Anthony. Let's jump right into it. Running to be leader of the federal conservatives. You've gone from being a provincial MPP. Why are you running for the top job federally now? Look, I'm running to restore Canada's democracy, opportunity, and uh, trust in government. I stood up for Canadians when it wasn't popular, and I'll continue to do so until we restore all rights for all Canadians. I've also been very blessed with Canadian opportunity, and um, I'll restore opportunity with uh, a robust energy, housing, and economic plan. I'm in, I'm in a unique position, I think, Anthony, to unite the Conservative Party, and I'll bring back determination and uh, authenticity to lead it to victory. All right. When you talk about uh, restoring some rights, are you suggesting that there are still uh, some rights that are being violated, that, that, that are in need of restoration right now? Absolutely. Look, uh, over 3 million Canadians are still unable to uh, board a plane or a train. Um, you know, I, I often describe that I was born in the former Soviet Union uh, and I lived there until I was nine. And in the Soviet Union, uh, citizens were unable to board uh, between uh, republics without proper paperwork. And they were unable to leave beyond communist walls. And to think that this might be happening in my own country is unthinkable. Uh, same with mandates. I, I think that the not only is it uh, outright discriminatory to uh, prevent or preclude someone from working because of their medical status, I think that making someone choose between their personal medical choice and their ability to put food on the table is simply inhumane. Um, and that is on top of the fact that it's no longer based in any science or has any supported rationale. I'm sure you've had a number of people ask why you did exactly what you did in terms of uh, posting public opposition to Doug Ford in a way that uh, I know you probably assumed would have seen you removed from caucus. Uh, maybe they would have said, well, why don't you be a team player, voice your concerns from within? Uh, how do you respond to that? Well, it is well known that I've opposed uh, the lockdown from within starting end of May 2020. Um, I figured um, in early January that the province was not going to turn course on this, despite the fact that we turned the corner we were um, on the verge of, of vaccinating everyone in long-term care homes. And we've seen that uh, primarily uh, the, the crisis was contained to congregate setting in long-term care homes. And we also found out that the virus is very, very transmissible um, with infection rates significantly higher than we thought that were making the metrics considerably lower. Uh, the metrics that we're worried about, like hospitalization and, and mortality, considerably lower. At the same time, I started uh, witnessing uh, a very high collateral toll uh, resulting from the lockdowns. And so it became clear that the collateral damage from our public health response 
is in and itself also deadly. And so I I was unwilling to continue watching the um, the difficulty, frankly, the carnage that was imposed by the province on, on Ontarians. And so I published a letter that simply called for balanced public health response that protects congregate settings, that uh, builds up healthcare capacity, but factors in the toll of, of lockdowns into our public health response. So sometimes when someone says, I'm against the government approach to COVID, uh, one is labeled a denialist or you're uh, an anti-vaxxer or whatnot. It, it sounds like you are talking about still making use of pandemic management policies in terms of dealing with long-term care uh, individuals. You're just taking a different approach. I mean, what would you say to anyone who has, who has smeared you with those labels? Well, look, uh, COVID is a very serious infection. And it can be very dangerous to certain folks uh, in certain demographics, uh, particularly those uh, over 80 uh, with multiple comorbidities, potentially uh, long-term care residents who are typically on average regretfully in their last year of life, uh, or those with serious metabolic conditions. But it's it's appreciating the nature of the risk that should drive our public policy, and which is why I urged that we need to focus protection on those that require protection and at the same time, build hospital capacity, given how transmittable the virus is, instead of locking down 15 million Ontarians or 35 million Canadians and making them sick. Um, I, I think that by now, the evidence in support of my proposition that lockdowns have also resulted in a considerable amount of mortality, regretfully, and, and adverse effects, regretfully has been uh, proven correct. And I'm happy to canvas that should you wish. Yeah, it does seem like the more the weeks and months go by, the more we learn about the various harms and damages caused by all of these measures. Absolutely. Well, we know that already the Canadian Medical Association suggested that more than 4,000 Canadians already passed away from surgeries delayed. Ontario alone uh, delayed or cancelled over 300,000 surgeries and procedures. We know that between March 2020 and March 2021, the province of Ontario uh, had 1 million cancer screenings less than in the preceding time frame. Um, and that is very regretful as we know that folks are uh, looking for cancer or either predisposed or of a certain age. We had a, a doctor from McMaster, in fact, Dr. Singh, uh, author a piece in which he said that many children could have been saved from brain tumors if they were just diagnosed with cancer six months earlier. And, and so, Add to that, we have an almost doubling of, of deaths from overdose year over year. According to Public Health um, Ontario, we have an increase of about 78%. And we also have a, an, a mental health pandemic that has been uh, perpetuated regretfully by public health and governments. And all of that should be factored or should have been factored in to our public policy uh, response on, on COVID. I know that you and I share a passion in discussing these very important issues. At the same time, when it comes to the conservative leadership race, uh, we could see ourselves in a situation where very soon COVID is, is pretty much in the rearview mirror. What are you hoping to talk about in the months ahead? I know there are some some politicians who would like to say, OK, well, that's a thing in the past. COVID is done. Uh, do you believe talking about still uh, addressing what happened the past years needs to be central moving forward? Uh, are you planning to campaign on uh, primarily on things that have not much to do with COVID? Uh, what is what is your view towards the months ahead? So look, uh, of course, I will be uh, presenting a plan to Conservative members as to how I propose to unite our party and restore Canadian opportunity. 
be it our ability to drive natural resources. I think that natural resources, native natural resources are a blessing and I will not let oil and gas be canceled, be it uh, uh, an aggressive housing plan uh, required to make housing more affordable, privacy, um, children with autism. I I'll have quite a bit to say, but it's no secret that I'm running to restore Canada's democracy. I believe that it's not the lockdowns or the passports that we're running against. It's the events, the ideology, and the cancel culture that has precipitated the events of the last two years. We're still seeing close to 10% of Canadians unable to participate in everyday life because they're excluded from transportation or from um, potentially from workplaces. We're still seeing censorship and that, that continues to infringe on the rights of Canadians. And, and prevent them from defending the most, um, all the rights, because through speech we defend all other rights. And uh, regretfully, we have a cancel culture and ideology that generally suppresses uh, speech and diversity of opinion. Um, and that is something that I'm, I'm committed to talking about on this campaign. I think that it's essential that we preserve uh, Canada's democracy, which I believe is being eroded. I know you're well known in Ontario politics, in Ontario news for your positions on COVID-19. In other provinces where you're also running to be federal conservative leader for the conservative party members in, in Atlantic provinces in BC and Alberta, how would you like to be known to them? What would be uh, the central thrust of your campaign? I'm the democracy candidate. Uh, we, we just came back from BC with a very successful trip. We, we get a lot of turnout from uh, from folks pretty much everywhere we go. And I think that my democracy message resonates with Canadian. I, I think that it's incumbent on us to still stand up for those that don't have a voice. And I've demonstrated that throughout my career, whether uh, to articulating uh, a view against lockdowns when it was very unpopular, that's January 2021, or early on coming out against passports and mandates. This is despite the fact that I'm uh, myself and vaccinated. I'm in favor of voluntary vaccination, but I don't believe that we should make anyone do anything against their will. Uh, and finally, I think that we should preserve uh, basic notions that served us very well, and that's our ability to disagree with each other and, and certainly preserve our freedom of speech against some of the uh, attempts to censor or hinder speech, as we're seeing from the federal government. And so that's what I hope that uh, voters will, will take away, is that they will always uh, know where I stand and they can always uh, count on me to do what I believe is right, even when it's unpopular. We'll be back with more full comment with Roman Baber after this. When it comes to formal conservative parties, as you know well, the Ontario PC party in government with a majority had some of the most aggressive lockdowns, not just in Canada, but uh, uh, really in, in, by some measures in the world. Alberta had some pretty firm measures at some point, which was controversial. And as you know, Alberta governed uh, by majority conservative government. Conservative opposition leader, uh, formerly Aaron O'Toole, he didn't seem to allow anyone to critique lockdowns. And yet you're now running to be leader of the federal conservative party when these uh, the biggest conservative entities in Canada almost said, no, we're actually not going to be critical of all of that stuff. Why are you running for leader of the conservative party as opposed to perhaps joining the PPC or, or, or taking another avenue? Well, I've always I've always been a conservative and I believe that most members of the conservative caucus are now on record agreeing with my stance on lockdowns and passports. And that includes almost every leadership contestant in this race, albeit 
um, subsequent to the truckers coming into town. I also think it's essential that I restore democracy within our party. We can't restore democracy within our country without allowing the Conservative Party to have a diversity of views, which I will welcome. That is the key to restoring um, our, our stance with Canadians and appeal to Canadians in that we have a wide spectrum of views from environmental conservatives to social conservatives to democratic conservatives and Western conservatives. We should be able to disagree and respect one another. When it comes to the convoy that made its way to Ottawa, what did you think of the convoy? Did you support the truckers? Absolutely. I believe that the charter had a right to peaceful protest. Of course, local police should enforce existing traffic and bylaws. laws. And, uh, but there was absolutely no necessity in the declaration of emergency or riot police against bystanders on the hill. That was unacceptable. But no one actually discussed the issue and dispute, which are the mandates. You shouldn't force someone uh, to make a choice between their health and earning a living. And Justin Trudeau didn't even have the courage to meet with them. But I'll, I'll end this uh, question. I'll end this answer by saying the following. Uh, we saw on February 18th, which I believe will be one of the worst days in Canada's history, when riot police came down on peaceful protesters, some that were not in a truck, but simply standing on the street or on Spark Street. And, and what did we see in response? Nothing, no resistance, complete peace. Uh, no police officers were assaulted, no injuries, no kicking, no spitting. This uh, proved, in essence, on February 18th and 19th, that despite the efforts of the government to demonize and mischaracterize these protesters, something that they were not, this was a truly peaceful movement. And yet, Roman, how do we deal with the fact that potentially 50% of Canadians or more, depending on what news outlet they frequent, depending on uh, who they talk to, where they get their information, are under the impression that uh, what we mostly saw was uh, a violent brigade of white supremacists who received foreign funding to go and overthrow the government. That is, uh, we've at least heard those disparate parts from various liberal cabinet ministers and and perhaps as the inquiry process into the Emergencies Act goes uh, underway, we'll see that uh, regurgitated by them again. Uh, There is just complete alternate realities going on about what happened there. And and I, I, I fear for our nation and how we deal with these uh, major issues that we debate that people can be living in, in alternate realities when it comes to uh, things such as this. I agree. Look, first, we would always um, res- respect people's views, but we also have to base opinion on, on fact on the ground. The reality is that there may have been a handful of, of haters and, and idiots, but we would never paint hundreds of thousands of Canadians who enjoyed the support of a third of Canadians at the very least, and, and according to Leger, 44% have been uh, sympathetic to, to the truckers. We would not paint them in the same brush that is just false and it demeans the conversation and the argument. What's even more important is that we have seen that multiple propositions coming out in the mainstream media uh, supported by government have proven to be outright false. We know that contrary to some suggestions, no weapons have been seized in the clearance of the protest. We know that the arson that was alleged to be uh, connected or as a result of the process of the protest was unrelated uh, to the protest. We know that there was no foreign interference, uh, no collusion with Russia or anything of that sort. And we also know that the very vast majority of the donations 
in fact, originated in Canada, contrary to the government's suggestion. And at the same time, what we saw is the government break the rule of law on February 18, not having subsequently um, uh, justified its actions with passage of the Emergencies Act in response to an alleged emergency that had already passed. And we saw them come down on, on peaceful protesters effectively, and for the first time in history, seizing bank accounts, freezing bank accounts without a court order that is an unprecedented assault on democracy that undermines uh, investor confidence and, and generally the faith of Canadians in our democracy. Roman, I want to get your thoughts on some issues completely uh, non-COVID related right now. You referenced growing up in the Soviet Union. One of the big issues that the federal government is dealing with right now is how to respond to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. What do you think of what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau has been doing so far? Uh, what would you have perhaps done differently? You know, uh, my mom's family is from Ukraine and, and I was born on the Russian side when it was still the Soviet Union. I'm heartbroken by the events in Ukraine. We're witnessing a catastrophic loss of life and infrastructure. And what we're not seeing is a greater effort to actually end the conflict. Um, negotiations are, are on and off. And I'm of the view that we have to do everything possible to get to a ceasefire. Instead, all we're seeing is, is more and more escalation. We'll be back with more full comment in just a moment. What could potentially happen in terms of a ceasefire, in terms of uh, brokering some sort of a deal here? I know uh, Zelensky has gone and said, I'd, I'd like to see a no-fly zone brought in, uh, but we've seen Justin Trudeau, Joe Biden, uh, Jen Stoltenberg, head of NATO, say, no, we're not doing that at all. It seems like we're willing to uh, provide the humanitarian support to Ukrainians that the Canadians very much support. And, and as you know well, Canadians have welcomed uh, many Ukrainian refugees uh, to join us here in Canada, also providing some military support when it comes to brokering uh, that that solution that that stops uh, all of the harms we're seeing. What is the pathway to that? So we have, at the very least, there needs to be a good faith effort um, on at, at least on our side to try and end the conflict. Zelensky has asked for help to try and end the conflict. Uh, in addition to him asking for a no fly zone, I think that a fly zone. Uh, should should not be considered as it will lead to an escalation that could potentially result in something catastrophic. What we need to appreciate, in my view, is that Putin is in a very difficult political position. War is not popular at home uh, in Russia, and he is under pressure from multiple sources to, to try and end the conflict. I think this is an opportunity for Canada to show leadership and say, it's time to end this, remove uh, Russian troops from Ukraine, come up with some security guarantees, but the carnage, the catastrophic loss of life and infrastructure needs to end immediately, starting with a good faith ceasefire. I imagine Vladimir Putin's going to want some sort of face-saving agreement, and it's always believed that he sees uh, carving out more parts of eastern Ukraine as, as a much more viable uh, proposition towards, I guess, the territory he wants to take. Should NATO nations uh, be willing to tolerate something like that? There's been a number of uh, prominent security analysts who do suggest that this will conclude with some eastern uh, Ukrainian regions going over to Russia. Is that something you would accept? I'm not sure that that was something that I would be willing to accept. 
what I think what I think might need to happen is some sort of a security guarantee, uh, both with, with respect to Ukraine and and potentially some some parts of Ukraine. But I don't believe that we're going to presuppose the outcome without actually having the determination to try and end this conflict. More broadly, when it comes to Canada on the world stage and our foreign policy, how would you do things differently right now? Justin Trudeau criticized a lot for both foreign affairs and also uh, his general attitude on the world stage, teased for the costumes. I know we haven't seen that for a couple of years and, and for the socks. I know there hasn't been much attention to the socks in a couple of years, but we're dealing with some very serious matters. I don't think we expected uh, the, the war in Ukraine to be the matter we were dealing with. All eyes were on China to some degree, but still a lot of concerns with the degree uh, to which Canada-China relations are problematic right now. What would your foreign affairs priorities be? I don't think that you can run a credible foreign affairs effort when your partners, when the world uh, around you is looking at Canada and believes that Canada's democracy is in doubt. We have seen um, quite a reception for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in the European Parliament a couple of weeks ago. I don't believe that Canada can restore its credibility without around the world without fully restoring its democracy. I'd also say that our foreign policy needs to be grounded in our, our economic and, and plans for natural resources. I think that Canada's natural resources are a blessing and it makes sense to develop them not just for uh, strategic interests and, and environmental interests because Canadians will derive uh, energy cleaner and safer than any other nation in the world, but also for a strategic interest. I, I don't see why Canada should be purchasing any energy from abroad, especially from rogue regimes like Venezuela, instead of uh, deriving these resources in Canada and, and projecting moral authority around the world instead of supporting some of these rogue regimes. Hold on a second. Canada's democracy is in doubt. I've never really been accused of being a cheerleader for Justin Trudeau, but those are very strong words you use there. How is our democracy in doubt right now? Right now, the federal government is passing legislation that will potentially censor our speech on the internet. The government is moving with a licensing regime for journalists, deciding who qualifies as a journalist and who doesn't. Right. Four million, three to four million Canadians are excluded from uh, from aviation and and, and rail. We're seeing 21st century segregation and discrimination against Canadians. This is, this is un, un, unprecedented in, in recent history and, and not something that should, Canadians should regard lightly. We watched uh, the government effectively invoke the War Measures Act in response to largely peaceful protesters in the capital. I think that we have some, some soul searching to do and say that this is not the type of, of democracy that that Canadians um, should. This is not this is not something that Canadians should uh, view and and accept. When it comes to censoring the internet, this is something that we hear politicians say in democracies, major democracies all across the world right now. And and I imagine whatever happens. Uh, moving forward here in Canada, a next liberal government, an NDP government, potentially conservative government will continue to talk about those themes as well. The, the digitization of our lives and the ensuing sense of inevitability that that will be, be regulated 
be, be managed by government. There's digital ID programs going on at provincial and federal levels. I understand Saskatchewan has just abandoned their digital ID, but uh, other districts going full ahead with it. How can we live in the digital age while also not succumbing to these temptations to control people's lives digitally? Well, just because humanity is moving forward with, with progress in technology doesn't mean that we should compromise basic uh, principles such as freedom of speech or most notably the right to privacy. Um, I, I talk about the fact that a couple of months ago I had to download Adobe Acrobat and again, and um, Adobe said to me that I cannot view my PDFs until I allow Adobe access to all of the files on my cell phone, even those that are not uh, PDF huh. files. And and that that really is symbolic of, of, of something that I think has been happening in the last couple of years. Many know that I come from the blue side of the Conservative Party uh, on fiscal issues. I'm in favor and, and love all free enterprise, small business, medium business, and large business. But I don't believe that that means that we should be ceding our privacy and speech to what ha effectively amounts to technological monopolies. Um, I, I think even though I'm in favor of a small role for Ottawa and the federal government, this is a competition law, an antitrust matter that a government should look at. Um, you, you can allow for technological investment, but it doesn't mean that we should compromise privacy. I will be looking to restore the privacy of Canadians. You mentioned natural resources a couple times. Let's talk about the economy. Inflation is at decades-long highs. Bank of Canada is increasing rates right now. Lots of anxieties about what this means for regular individuals, their abilities to afford a home, to put food on the table as we see the price of, of various products of meat uh, go much higher than people are used to seeing uh, year over year. What's going on here on the economic front? What role uh, does the federal government have to play? What would you do as leader? Well, the first thing it has to do is stop printing. We went, stop printing borrowing. We went from, a, I believe, a $700 billion debt just pre-COVID to $1.2 trillion debt in a short span of two years. It's not as if we got enough value for those, uh, for that half a trillion. We didn't build a single hospital bed. We didn't hire a single nurse. What we did get instead is, um, very high inflation rate that's not catching up with the market due to low productivity. Another thing we've experienced is uh, a disequilibrium in the price in price because we effectively stopped the global supply chain with uh, lockdowns on and off. And then we restarted the economy, uh, causing a significant uh, demand. And so we have a disequilibrium between supply and demand that causes price inflation, the best thing we can do is provide the market with certainty. In addition to stopping the printing, we should provide the market with, with certainty that we are done locking down the economy. And that will immediately uh, give people a lot of um, optimism, security, and, and ability and intent to invest and produce. What would you say to people who have broader anxieties about the long term now? It used to be a common phrase that people would say, I believe my kids are going to go on and have a better standard of living than I did. Now, a lot of people, they don't say that refrain anymore. I, I have small kids at home. I don't necessarily feel that's the case for them. I'm, I'm not sure which way I'd go with that question. There's, there's quite an economic malaise in the air right now. 
you know, in addition to restoring Canada's democracy, I'm running to restore Canada's opportunity. I, I like to tell my story briefly. I came to Canada when I was 15. Uh, my first mattress was from the recycling bin across the street, but I've always had a job and I've always had this incredible joy because I had opportunity. Uh, I've had every opportunity to succeed, to, uh, to join a business, to go to school, and then to be elected by the very same district that welcomed me as a new Canadian 20 years earlier. It, it, it's truly exhibit A for the Canadian dream. And I don't want to give up on the Canadian dream. I do feel that a lot of folks, especially young folks, feel that Canadian opportunity is getting eroded. So what we need to do is, is allow Canadians to do what they do best. And that means work. Don't lock them down. Don't mandate them so they're unable to work. Don't get in the way um, of, of them being to drive Canada's natural resources. Um, work at uh, fixing housing. And, and there are some material steps we can take such as increasing home buyer's deduction. I'm going to at least double it. We should divest ourselves of federal land to increase the supply of land, to bring houses down. And we should start rebuilding. We should, we should rebuild transportation again. We built this country on a train. We need to focus on building transportation to new and affordable communities. Uh, and, and Anthony, I think that all of this really starts with, with a sense that our democratic institutions are not going to be eroded and that government is not going to get in the way of Canadians pursuing their dreams. When, when, when the federal government is proposing universal basic income, it is discouraging dreams. It's creating dependency. It is discouraging uh, earning. Canadians, I don't think, want universal basic income. They want to earn an income. What, what about dental care, which Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh and the, the Don't Call It a Coalition Coalition are putting forward? Is, is that something that all Canadians should have access to? Well, I'm concerned that in order to affect universal dental care, you're going to have to have all sorts of regulatory pressures on dentists. Um, I've been asking what sort of uh, tariffs, what sort of prices will the federal government expect a dentist to, to accept? What kind of uh, regulatory burdens or, or paperwork? And I'm concerned that if there's not enough supply to meet dental needs of Canadians by virtue of the university dental plan, then dentists may potentially be inconvenienced or, or do something that they might not want to do. And that would mean that a lot of dentists might retire or simply leave to practice dentistry somewhere else. And, and that is the concern with universal uh, plans. First of all, they're never free. Nothing is free. And second of all, you will have to inevitably uh, regulate dentists or, or find another way to get them to do the work. And, and that might not be something that many in the dental community are looking forward to. What about national daycare? Is that something that you said you want opportunity for young people? Is this something that uh, empowers young families, particularly women to have that opportunity or are there some challenges in, in the implementation of this? There will certainly be some challenges in the implementation of this. I, I do know and, and I appreciate that the cost of uh, daycare is unaffordable. Uh, what we need to do, I think, is we need to focus on affordability generally. And of course, between the hyper rate of inflation, uh, federal spending, and, and the uncertainty that's been created in the last couple of years, life in Canada is becoming unaffordable. But I, I think we've been through challenges and as a country before, and I think we'll reemerge out of them again. We need to go back to first principles, and that is respecting Canada's democracy, respecting our ability to pursue livelihood, uh, free of encumbrance by government, of course, subject to the rule of law. Um, those are very trite propositions that I think are, are eroding in our country. 
and and therefore cause uh, a lot of folks to to concern that the future of their children will not be as bright. And that is a proposition that I find unacceptable. Roman Baber, before we go, uh, there's a lot of candidates in this field right now for conservative leadership and probably a feeling that whoever wins this race will go on to be the next prime minister. But it's unclear, both because there is this coalition government going on right now with Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh, and also because, well, Andrew Scheer didn't win and we were told, well, it's because he was too SOCON. Get a guy who doesn't have the hints of SOCON, it'll be fine. Got an Aaron O'Toole, no hints of the SOCON still. He didn't pull it off. He didn't win. Got to push him out. And of course, uh, he was. And now we have this race. What is needed from the Conservative Party and the next leader to win the next election? First, you unify the Conservative Party, which means that you have to accept differing views within our party, not have litmus tests for, for opinion. And you also have to have authenticity and courage to stand up for what you believe and what Canadians are looking for. Specifically, I'm of the view that no candidate should be uh, running in one direction during leadership and then back to the center during the general election. I think that voters see that uh, as as something not to be desired in leaders. And and so you must remain authentic and and true to yourself. Um, That is a prerequisite for a conservative leader uh, in a party that is proud to stand on principle. And, and that also means that we cannot be bullied by the politically correct mob to take positions that may not be in line with what Canadians uh, hope that we will say and do. I'm of the view that we should have stood up against lockdowns, that we should have stood up for minority of Canadians that are discriminated against by virtue of passports and mandates. We should. We should encourage diversity of opinion within our party. We should stand our principle and we should not be afraid to articulate what we believe and say what we believe is right. Roman Baber, thanks for joining us today. All the best to you. Thank you, Anthony. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.